Hey, Shelvies. Buckle up for a new episode of the Shelved Books Podcast, where every writer is a story that may never see the light of day. This is the podcast where authors share the stories that they shelved, the manuscripts that they may never publish. Then they explore the reason why they shelved this story. Welcome to the Shelved Books Podcast. Shelvies, welcome to the Shelf Books Podcast. We are your hosts, Katie Vangelista. Angie Sandro. Christy Berman. And it's another week, another author, another amazing author. We cannot believe <laughs> it. We cannot, we cannot. We have been gushing since the beginning of this podcast before we hit record because this author is definitely worthy of the gush and uh, we are definite fans. And uh, she is a New York Times bestselling author with books available in more than 20 languages. I mean, that's the dream, right? To just see your book in a different language. And then maybe you might think, yeah, I might want to learn to learn to read this language just so that I can see if it's actually the way it's translated. You know, it's, um, it's just so beautiful. And plus the covers are just beautiful to see with every new language that comes out. Uh, she is best known for across for the Across the Universe trilogy, which consists of the novels Across the Universe, A Million Suns, and Shades of Earth. <sighs> if you haven't read this trilogy, what is wrong with you? Go buy those books. But before that, please continue listening slash watching to uh, this, this podcast because, you know, I mean, uh, she is right here with us today. Um, <laughs> Her most recent title, The Princess and the Scoundrel, which is just such an amazing book, and I believe a great addition to the story of the Star Wars universe, is an adult science fiction novel featuring the marriage and adventure uh, riddled honeymoon of Leia and Han. I, yes, I mean, why haven't they made a movie of this? I, I, I honestly, yes, this should be this should be the the uh, text that they look to when they. That, honestly, they need to make a movie of this. Um, and I think the most, my most favorite, favorite part of her uh, intro when I was researching uh, our author today is that she grew up in the Appalachian Mountains with a cemetery in her backyard. I love that. I love that. I think sometimes if I was, if I wasn't such a scaredy cat, I would also want to live in a place where there's a cemetery in my backyard. Mm-hmm. But then again, when the zombies rise, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, something I would want. So everybody, please, please welcome to the podcast, Beth Reeves. Hi, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> we are beyond, beyond excited. And Beth, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself so we can learn a bit more about you? Um, yeah, so first of all, the cemetery was fenced in, and I did consider that as part of the like livable side of it growing up because I was like, okay, if the zombies rise, they're not going to get past the gate. That's fine. But um, it, it was very much a very rural thing because um, growing up, we would always have to like put the dogs in when there was going to be a funeral, <laughs> and like all these cars would be in our driveway. It was, it was kind of a weird thing, but. Oh, well. I guess rural south. It was a family plot and it like came with the property. So we had to do something with it, but it was a little wild. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, it is so thrilling to see all my books in different languages. But as you were speaking, it reminded me that I actually got to meet my French publisher once because I was a teacher before I was uh, published. And the 
French version of the book was going, had been bought, but wasn't translated yet during my last year of teaching. And I, the last commitment I had officially as a teacher was leading a group of teenagers in Europe. Oh. And so I, I abandoned them at the Eiffel Tower for a little while and like trotted down <laughs> to the French publisher's office and was like, hi, it's me. Can I meet you? And he was so impressed. And I had mentioned that I knew some French, by which I mean I could maybe order at a restaurant. <laughs> not much more. And my French publisher was so sweet and so hot. He was so good looking. And he kept trying to give me um, French books. And I was like, I can't read this. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> he definitely had a higher opinion of my French than was merited by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> love it <laughs> well christy, christy is is french i mean she canadian french and uh could you read you could you read in french christy i never asked well yeah i went to school in french like english is my second language so yeah but that's very cool story i love that <laughs> <laughs> i i know so very little like i can i can figure things out if i read it three times kind of situation but if you if you speak to me in french i will just blink. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> and they usually speak really, really fast. So it's really, really hard. Yeah. Very, very fast. <laughs> so if you can read her French translated book and just let us know if it's oh, like... honestly, I would do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that one that one had a really good cover too, and it looks so pretty. And I was like, I recognize the word star. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Do they give you copies of the books in the different languages uh, or the covers so you can keep those? Or? They usually do. A lot of the foreign publishers will forget to send any to the author. Um, but I've got I've got like solidly 15 or 15 or so of the languages. A lot of them ended up using the same cover and they just kind of, you know, changed the title treatment. But France got its own cover. France and China did really, really cool new covers in Germany, too. But everybody else just used the same cover <laughs> i always love hearing part. the titles and how they change them you know like it's just a subtle difference but it's like hmm, why did you choose that sometimes you know what really blew my mind was that russia changes your name oh really your name wow. yeah and, and i mean i can't i'm sure it's changed in like chinese and japanese but i can't even begin to pronounce that but in russia i'm revisova oh, oh so they add like a little oh the ova because you're female yeah yeah i think i think it has to do with gender yeah, oh, yeah. Well, yeah I that. <laughs> that is so interesting so like so now it makes me wonder like with those authors like with like names that are like 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 for me it's like evangelista like i wonder how they would translate that in russian or you know it, it just makes it just makes or, or they're just like just leave it as is we're not really <laughs> um but that is so interesting and so was it was it ever were you ever translated in japanese yes and did they ever say like let's make a manga out of this sadly no <laughs> i really i really wanted a manga but no they never <laughs> <made it laughs> into one. yeah that would be because no because there are some authors that were translated and then they, they made it into manga and i'm like but because because your books are so visually yeah. stunning okay. that they would make great manga like they not even manga like if you would just decide to make a graphic novel of them mm -hmm. yeah i would love it i love manga and i read webtoons every day like <laughs> i love graphic novels but and i don't have any talent in that department at all like i can't even do a stick figure but i would love for that to happen one day that would be very that would cool be so cool yeah. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure like if you know like the fa- like your fans like I- I'm pretty sure someone out there has done like maybe a panel of like their mm-hmm. favorite scene or something because a lot of fan art. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's like the way your books are written. It's so they they are so um they, they lend well to cinema. Yeah. I would mm-hmm. say. And you know, um so I'm like, hello, knock, knock, knock. Where's the film deal? Right. From your lips to Hollywood's ears. <laughs> All right, we can make that happen. Yeah, Let's we do can it. make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out there. <laughs> we'll make a few calls. Okay. <laughs> Kate's going to slip into a few DMs. It'll be all good. That's what <laughs> I'm And to stalk and to relentlessly comment and, sh- and, you know. But it's like, because it's like, um, we are just, the, the types of you know sometimes it's like oh who are these crazy people and why 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 are they um contacting me but it's just really because we are so fascinated because to have to have read the books and then to uh to to know that there was a person behind the creation of those books it's just such a fantastic way of thinking because when I was growing up I never thought someone wrote i mean i read books but i never thought oh an author a person wrote these books which is why i never considered writing as a career because uh, i i didn't connect the two basically um but then when i finally realized oh yeah there are people who wrote this book so maybe <laughs> i might want to be one of them <laughs> you know so that was that and because of that i've had we've had shelf books along the way so beth what about you? What is your shelf book story? So I, I think the first thing you need to know is that I'm a very type A competitive person. Mm. So I kind of want to win the podcast and be your author who has the most shelved books. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I'm going to need a badge after this because um, I started writing when I was in college. Mm. I was trying to just write a short story because I was just kind of bored and I liked creative writing, but I was like you, I didn't think it could be a career. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing a short story and it ended up being a whole novel. And I was very, very, very poor in college, um, coming from the Appalachian and not really, like I was a scholarship kid all the way. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have a television. So to entertain myself, I would just tell myself stories. And so through the college years, I wrote like, five novels and it was just like on the side like I would do that instead of working on my thesis when I was in grad school and I mean I I didn't have any money to go clubbing or even buy a television so I told myself stories um and I wrote the first novel and once it was a whole book I was like oh I have a whole book I should see if I can get published I'll be the fancy 20 something published (laughs) and I sent it out to 100 agents and all of them were like oh no 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 this is terrible (laughs) and I was like okay that's fine I've written another one and I would send that one out to 100 agents. And they'd be like, no, that one's worse than the other one. <laughs> I just did that for my whole college career. And none of them were picked up. And then I became an English teacher in high school because I went for the lucrative teaching job. <laughs> so, so much wealth there. And at in between grading assignments on the weekends, I was still too poor to afford a television. So I kept writing books. And I wrote... 10 novels over the course of 10 years wow all of them were rejected oh and wow. yeah. I, have I told you I'm gonna win this podcast <laughs> <laughs> I love that attitude 
like, oh my God, you're what amazing. What kept you going? Like, yes. like, I'm pretty sure, like, with some writers, it's like one book being rejected was like, ah, oh, I'll never be able to do this. It's like, ah, oh. but, but you were able to 10 and just kept going until someone said, yes, we will publish this. I mean, the first the first few times I was like, oh, the first book, that was my learning book. I've, I'm already deeply into the second one because I was writing so quickly that I was like, okay, well, the second one's better. That'll be it. And then I would send it out. And by that point, I'd be writing the third one. And I'd go, oh, well, this, this one's better. I'll finish it and send it out. And I, for a while, it was just this pig-headed stubbornness because I'm very stubborn. But it did, it did wear on me. And when I wrote across the universe, there was a distinct moment. By that point, I had graduated college, graduated grad school, gotten, almost gotten my tenure as a teacher, was a nationally board certified teacher. I was like, I guess I'm going to be a teacher and not a writer. Um, I was also married by this point. And there was a distinct moment when I was writing across the universe because I had one of those spinny desks that could lean back. And I remember like leaning back on it and kind of spinning and staring at the ceiling and thinking, if this one doesn't sell, I'm, I just got to quit because <laughs> 11 books, I'm clearly not winning that game. I'm, I'm just got to quit it. And Across the Universe was the last one. And I think what made it different was that desperation because I was just throwing everything at the wall. I was like every plot twist I can think of, every high stakes situation, ev I was going to do everything I ever wanted to do because that was my last hurrah and my last Hail Mary. And that was the one that changed everything. Wow. Oh, that is so what genre were you writing? Were you writing like fantasy, sci-fi, everything, or did you always stick to one it thing? It was all fantasy. Across the universe was my first sci-fi. And I Whoa. did not know if I could write a sci-fi because to me, my husband read like very hard sci-fi, like mm -hmm. military sci-fi and the stuff where there's like three chapters dedicated to how the engine works. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like that kind of stuff, but I wanted cryogenic freezing. Like that was a key element from the beginning of the book. I needed the cryogenic freezing. And I, I actually was talking to my husband. I was like, I don't know if I can write this because I don't know anything about space engines. I don't, I can't do that. And he was like, well, you like Star Wars and they don't go into engines. It's the same kind of thing. I was like, oh, well, maybe I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. If that was your first sci-fi, that's incredible. So how, what kind of fantasies were you writing at the time? I wrote contemporary fantasy, portal fantasy, every every kind of fantasy. There was always magic and explosions and all that fun stuff. But wow, old. incredible! <laughs> like that's, that's a big switch too. Um, to yeah. go from fantasy to sci-fi. Like I, I can't even like the world building alone. Just trying to and all the science involved. It's, it's very similar, especially because it's um, it's still fantastical. It's just instead of having how does the magic work, I make up, I make up something for how the science works, mm -hmm. and it's more. I mean, obviously the settings more futuristic and things like that. But I I was able to slip into it pretty pretty seamlessly. I really enjoyed that part of it. Mm -hmm. So you were saying sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, when you were when so when you were writing these did you go through before you would query them out did, would you go through an editing process would you have a critique partner uh better readers or were you, would you just write and then send queries 
Well, I will say probably for the first one, I was just like, oh, I'm a young hotshot and so brilliant. I can just send it out. I remember I printed it. I used the school's printers for that because I was poor and cheap. And I, I remember like pretending, oh, yeah, I totally wrote a 300 page essay for school. Got to print it at the library. <laughs> <laughs> but I printed it there and I took like a red pen and, and did that. And that was for the first one. And then when that didn't sell, I eventually started realizing like, oh, I need I need to figure out how this actually works. Um, and I I had a lot of beta readers and a lot of critique partners. I got to the point where sometimes I would just like scattershot it and just get anybody who can read, do it. And I would have too many cooks in the kitchen. And then I learned, okay, I trust this person and this person. And I would just use these people. And I mean, over the years, I, I had critique partners who ended up being published before me, critique partners who were skyrocketing past me and I'm like still on the ground like hi like <laughs> I went through all of that <laughs> that's amazing it's great when you can find someone you trust to read your books too though it just yeah it's oh yeah I, I definitely also broke the critique circle before because there was like 10 people but I only like two of them <laughs> you guys come with me we're gonna break up the group <laughs> Well, it is kind of the way it is, though, because you come to see that there are some people who think the same way as you, and that's how it goes. But you were saying that you wrote 10 books in 10 years. So is that how fast you usually work? Like, is that how fast you work now? <laughs> so <laughs> I did. I I was able to do 10 in 10 years, um, in part because I didn't have any kids at that point. And, and I didn't have any extracurricular I was like the epitome <laughs> of the nerd like I went to school I did my homework I wrote my books um but it gave me enough practice that I was able to maintain that space that um speed yeah. and now I do have a child who is constantly on and he's seven years old and just full out um but I'm actually now up to about four a year and they're not all published. They're not all going to be published, but I can draft pretty fast now. Wow. That's amazing. Good for you. <laughs> I mean, it would be better for me if they were all of publishable quality, <laughs> <laughs> but they are not. So, so, when, so when you have that, you know, that drafting speed, how do you then decide which ones to go to your editor? editor with or your 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 agent with if I get if it goes to a full draft and there are some books I have one that I've been trying to get out for a long time and I just I haven't found the right voice for it yeah. and I'll write three chapters and it's still not there and I'll put it aside so I have something like that and mm -hmm. I just I, I'm still working on that mm -hmm. but if it's if it gets to a full draft and it's completely done I mean I'll read it if I need to have I have friends I can call in to be beta readers still and then I send them all to my agent, but that doesn't mean they all get published in 2020. I'm trying, the pandemic years are all a mix. Yeah. So during the pandemic, one of the oh, pandemic that's good, years, that's good. <laughs> I had um, four completely different novels. I had um, a co-written historical fantasy, a full complete draft of that. I had a historical novel that was not any kind of fantasy at all. And that was a tome, a thick one a middle grade fantasy and a science fiction young adult. So I had four novels written in that year. They all went to my agent. The um, 
young adult fantasy she rejected and she said she didn't think it would sell that way and so my co-author and I rewrote it and that became Night of the Witch the historical fantasy went on a submission did not sell at all the middle grade fantasy went on submission did not sell at all and the young adult fantasy or young adult sci-fi went on submission and it didn't sell at all so I have four books they the one that didn't go on sub is the one that sold after I rewrote it the three that went on sub none of them sold wow what's yeah. amazing to me that you see the name Beth Revis on a book and still <laughs> saying like no I think we're gonna pass that's amazing incredible yeah, I, I get very nice rejections now but there's still rejections <laughs> <laughs> they're polite and they're like personalized and all and like they're very nice rejections but at the end of the day there's still a no mm-hmm. wow I think that's that's also a great thing for our listeners um for for the Shelby's to be able to uh learn is that um yes you can reach a certain like caliber in your career but there will always the rejection will always still be there it's not like every book you write they're like yay wonderful let's publish it you know so that's a good good thing to learn and at the same time a good thing to remember that just just keep writing you're not a one book author there are many stories within you right and um so when that happens but so have you ever faced that um thing that happens with authors where if you're in fantasy they just want you to be in fantasy I've actually had the opposite happen (laughs) and that deals with more rejection um because I my debut trilogy was across the universe and it was sci-fi and I was very fortunate that it did very well and before Shades of Earth came out my publisher contracted me for three more books which was fantastic like great three more books and they at that time they wanted sci-fi from the time it took me to write the book and keeping in mind that I'm a fairly fast drafter they felt the market had changed so much that they no longer wanted sci-fi and that's what the body electric became it was a book I self-published because I had written it entirely had already gone through some edits with my editor and then they felt that the market would no longer support sci-fi and so I was like well I guess I'm just gonna publish it myself that's incredible that that, yeah like so so it it already went through acquisitions and Mm -hmm. then so did they so of course they returned the rights back yeah so I got the rights back to that book and could self-publish it but I was still able to do the three books under contract and that became give the dark my love the muscle farewell and a world without you Mm -hmm. they they were like we want three books we just don't want three sci-fi books you know it's so strange to me and like I mean we're not going to discuss the publishing industry here because like that could take it's a whole different podcast but it's very strange to me because I've always been a sci-fi reader I will never change I will always want sci-fi so when a publisher says I don't think that's going to work anymore. I really, I don't, I don't, anyways, just yeah. saying, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. that, that Those were the rejections I got for the young adult sci-fi that I just went out with in, during the pandemic. It was, it was like, we don't think the young adult market wants sci-fi. And I was like, well, you're wrong. Uh-huh. But... It's the right market. Okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so I have some questions because if you're writing four books per year, then I'm wondering, are you an outliner? Are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? I um I actually have learned to outline. I used to not. Okay. Um and I used to just write the story as I went, but I have over the years developed an outline system that really works well for me. And sometimes it gets very very detailed. Um the Star Wars books, actually Star Wars Rebel Rising is what taught me to outline okay. because that book had I had to write the whole novel in a month. Oh, and so what? I 
<laughs> Star Wars goes fast. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, I actually for um, The Princess and the Scoundrel, and I'm jumping books here, but for The Princess and the Scoundrel, I got the pitch, which was just like a honeymoon story of it. That was as much as they gave me to begin with. I, I got the pitch in August. I had the outline approved by um, like September, October, and then the draft was due in January. And then the book came out before a full year had come between the idea and the creation of the book. Star Wars moves very, very, very fast. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that drives me crazy a little bit. Just like, I'm glad you did it. I love the book. Everything is great. But like when they say the publishing industry is slow, well, when it wants to go fast, it, it is fast, right? <laughs> yeah. Although to be fair, one of the reasons why it's slow is to build buzz and Star Wars has built in buzz. Like there are, there are readers who only read Star Wars books and it as it's got the label on it that people will, they don't, they don't need that extra buzz. <laughs> very true. Very true. So you started outlining a certain way like did you base yourself on someone or something or a book or I I kind of meshed together all the theories I had read and learned about over the many 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 years of trying to become better um there's a little bit of save the cat there's a little bit of the four act structure and I just kind of mashed it together into something that would work for me um but for rebel rising I had to have an outline to star wars so they could approve the outline so I didn't have to rewrite the whole book base basically um and that was a chapter by chapter outline so I knew everything that would happen in each chapter and that's what enabled me to write the book so fast um and sometimes I still do that for some books that are very twisty and I need to know like what's the mystery going to be and how how am I going to fit all the pieces together I'll still do a chapter by chapter outline but generally I'll give myself more than one month and I'll just make like a four-act structure for myself nice and now not for Star Wars because obviously those are scripted but how do you get your ideas for all the other books well the Star Wars books aren't that like the the most script that they'll give me is like um, for Rebel Rising, it was tell the teenage years of Jen Erso. Okay. And for um, Princesses and Scoundrels, like show us the honeymoon and the wedding. And that, that was all I got. I had to make up everything else. Nice. Um, but in developing the ideas, I don't, I don't know. It's The ideas aren't the hard part. I love the ideas. Making them work is the hard part. So. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so would you ever consider going back to the 10 novels that you've written? No, and they suck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like now that I have more experience and a better eye, I can look at them and be like, oh, wow, that's a hot mess. But at the time, I thought they were brilliant. Like I, I love the stories and I, I never submitted something that I didn't think was good. It's just that I didn't have good taste and I had to learn how to be a better artist and see that it took years and years because there were times when I'd go back and I'm like, oh, that was so brilliant. And I'd start reading it and be like, no, no, it really wasn't. And, and like some of them were just kind of a mess that were unmarketable. Like it was kind of a middle grade plot, but with teenagers and, and it just didn't work. So could you ever take like piece bits and pieces of some of the other books and put them into some of the newer books or some of the plots or whatever, like school building or, or characters or situations? <laughs> no, they're dead to me. <laughs> they had their chance and they failed me. I cut them out. <laughs> There's a type A, like, I'm going to win at this personality coming out, but no Frankenstein in those books, right? <laughs> nope, nope. Now, the, one of the pandemic books I wrote, the, the young adult sci-fi, um, whenever I got the rejections that were like, sci-fi doesn't sell for teens anymore, I was like, okay, I'll rewrite it for adults. 
And I did keep the world of that. I didn't keep any of the characters, any of the plot. It's a totally new plot, totally new world. Actually, I, I blew up the, I killed off all the teen characters. I'm like, you're all dead. You're literally dead on the page now. <laughs> now you're going <laughs> to the world and like the universe of it and um, rewrote it for adult and it's on submission right now. So nice. <laughs> here's hoping Thank everyone you. say a prayer for me. <laughs> <I'm really laughs> <wanting to come. laughs> well, for you and for us, because it goes both ways. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we are uh, like, we have established, we are fans, we are we look forward to new releases. It's just, you know, so do you ever want to go other genres or try other, maybe a horror or? Yeah, you know? I, I kind of feel like I dabble a little bit in other genres, even in the ones I have, like in Give the Dark My Love, it's a fantasy book, but the main character is a necromancer and she raises the dead and they're, they're basically zombies and there's basically horror in that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wrote an adult historical that wasn't it wasn't a romance it wasn't a fantasy it was just about history about the norman conquest so i do like to dabble in it it doesn't always get published mm -hmm. and i think it drives my my agent a little bit mad when i'm like oh here's a middle grade fantasy and here's also something about the norman conquest and <laughs> but i do have an array writing it though so that is so cool that even though you know it you know that there's a chance it may not get sold you still just write just for the pleasure of writing it like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I also have like super stupidly high expectations for everything I do. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this will definitely be the thing that breaks in the market. And nobody wanted a Norman Conquest that doesn't have any romance at all, but I'll change their minds. <laughs> Spoiler, I did not, but I tried. <laughs> they may decide they need a Norman Conquest book with no romance. And, and there it is. You have it. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did did any of them suggest to add romance into it or? Oh yeah, yeah. There was a, <laughs> the thing is, is that book was like the point of it was kind of an anti-romance because I had originally written it based on the Norman Conquest because I actually really love history. I have a minor in history. I would have had a major. I was one credit away from being a history teacher, but in North Carolina, if you're a history teacher, you also have to be a coach, and I didn't want to coach sports and I didn't want to do that at all. So I was like, well, I'm going to be an English teacher instead. So I love history. <laughs> um, uh, but the point of the book was to be kind of an anti-romance because of the Norman conquest, you had a bunch of Norman men who were promised, they were basically Vikings, they were descended from Vikings, and they were promised a lot of uh, loot and women were loot. And so it was literally an anti-romance where they kill them in the end. And I liked that, but everybody else was like, we like kissing more. Okay. <laughs> Maybe one of them um, falls in love with the loot and no longer. They 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 kind of wanted to. I, I I have a feeling that if there was a lot more kissing and bodice ripping, that one might have sold. But no, I just kill him instead. See, you ever get the, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kate. No, no. I I'm just saying that's that, that's amazing because like for me, like with my personality, if they suggested it, I'm like I can make it work. But you like stuck to your guns, and and that's also a great lesson to learn. It's like if you if you wrote something a certain way then you know you don't necessarily have to bend to the will i mean you can write something else if it doesn't work out so that's that's something i i, I think i need to internalize more in my life 
Yeah. I mean, but there are some books that I will go to bat for and, and like, and sit like on this one, I was like, I do not want this to be anything, but what it is. And if you don't want it, that's fine. I'll put it aside. But then for the book that became not of the witch, my co-author Sarah Rosh and I, we completely rewrote that book. Like it had different characters. We completely rewrote every aspect of that book because we both still like the main core heart of it as a way to say it and then for the science science fiction i had i loved that world that i i mean it's a universe but i loved it all so much that i was willing to sacrifice the plot and the characters to make a new story with the world mm -hmm. and so i was able to rewrite that one on that but the middle grade fantasy i liked it the way it was and when it didn't sell i was like okay then it's just going here i don't need to do that anymore so it kind of depends on the book on which ones i'm willing to if there's a piece of it that I can salvage and make something new out of, I will. But if there's not, then then it's dead to me and it goes on the shelf. <laughs> that is yeah. with co-authoring because that always sounds very complicated. So how do you manage it? Like, do you write chapter chapter? Is it like how how? That is one that we did both. Um, we made a chapter by chapter outline, and I took the point of view of the boy and she took okay. the point of view of the girl okay. and uh to tell you how differently in the original draft it was two girls oh wow so it was vastly different um and then the boy was just going to be like this himbo side character who didn't have much of a plot and then we took out one girl and put the boy in and made it a romance and <laughs> lots of different things happened um but yeah so we she would write a chapter and then I would read her chapter make edits and comments and then write my chapter and then wow. she would read mine and, and we just did the whole book that way very cool and you guys are both fast drafters I expect because yeah yeah we did we did pretty well we'd at least get I mean we tried to do a chapter a day and it didn't always work that way or like she would do one like Monday was Sarah's day and then Tuesday would be like the day I would write a chapter. So we would each try to have like a chapter added a day oh. and it didn't always work that way, but because we were editing as we went, oh. the whole process was a lot faster. Wow. Yeah. And I think the book would be like as squeaky clean as you can have it because you're, you're editing as you are going. Yeah. That ends up being an advantage that we didn't realize it would be, but by the time we got done with it, we really didn't have that much to change or edit because it basically had a beta reader as it was being drafted. Yeah, yeah. Who was also the the writer? Yeah. So when you when you gave that to your editor, like how would you edit something like that as a co-author? We took um once it sold. Well, we gave it to our agents, and our agents were like, mm, "It's not working very well." Mm -hmm. And so we gutted the whole thing, thought it through, and came up with a new idea and a new plot for it. Rewrote it, but we did that one as a proposal. Mm -hmm. So we sold it on proposal to Sourcebooks, and the editor, when she gave us our edit letter, it was just like a normal edit letter of like, "Here's the things that the issues with the character and the plot and the setting," and we kind of broke down, okay you're doing this character and this part and I'm doing this part. We sort of divvied it up as to who was doing what and took turns. Nice. Yeah. Now yeah. when the book that's the that's a first for us, like going yeah. into the mind of like editing a uh as co-authors, like how would you go about that with an editor as well? So Christine, you're saying something? Yeah, like do you ever get the self-publishing bug because you're writing so many books and they all sound so cool right ladies and we would love for you to self-publish <laughs> oh, good news I already have and I and I'm actually like pretty fully committed to being a hybrid publisher from now on Yay, so good. um the body electric was my first like foray into 
um, publishing fiction. And I really regret not continuing that because I could have, and I was, and I just didn't. I was like, okay, that was the one because it was a weird situation. That's fine. Um, but actually it was during the pandemic and it was when I wrote four books and oh. none of them sold in, in their original iteration. And I was like, that's a year where I'm not getting paid. Oh. And I was like, I could not possibly have done more. Oh. Like full, four full novels and none of them sold and that meant I didn't get a paycheck yep. and I really needed a paycheck oh. um so I I did I started looking into ways to self-publish and be fully hybrid mm -hmm. and I took one of the old books that um it wasn't one of the original 10 it was one of that <laughs> rejected in the middle um called Blood and Feathers and I self-published it in serialized form uh -huh. on Kindle Bella yeah. and then I really enjoyed that and I I wasn't sure if I could keep up with a chapter a week schedule for a serial novel, but I found out that I could. And so then I did Museum of Magic, which is a fantasy novel that I'm writing um, with my readers. It's all open-ended and it's all done on D&D. So I make an outline and every choice that the characters have is there's like four or five or more possibilities. Mm -hmm. And I will roll dice or have the readers pick or do something kind of by fate. And that determines the outline. And then I write that chapter and publish it and make a new outline with all the different like possibilities. And it's like choose your own adventure meets oh. Dungeons and Dragons. So cool. I did not know you were doing that. And now I'm going to be like totally into that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the first book is all the way out. And I'm doing the second one now. The second one's just started. So yeah. So cool. So cool. We've it's heard fun. so many uh, authors now are looking into Vela, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. very interesting and cool. Yeah, I, I have a lot of fun with it. Um, it's still, I mean, it's an Amazon product and Amazon is evil, but it also pays and that's nice. And I, I could use that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. You use, use that uh, co evil corporate money for good. That's, that's what <laughs> uh, and that's fascinating like, to have like that um, interaction with your readers um, mm -hmm. because sometimes it's like, uh, there, there's also this like don't there, there's also this um, I think thought process or or way of doing things where you ask some authors like don't give in to your like their advice like don't give in to your your readers like, especially if you're reading uh, or writing a, a series because sometimes when you're writing a series the readers already have like opinions on what should happen next and sometimes if they don't like what happens it's like wow well, how dare you you know <laughs> So, so with this, like, it looks like you have that, it's almost like a symbiotic um, relationship with this project that you're doing. And it's so fascinating. So like, how do you balance that when you're writing? So for Museum of Magic and the sequel House of Hex, which is ongoing right now, it, it is basically a community. We've built a community of readers and also writers. And I not only have it on Kindle Vela, but also on Patreon where people can have actual comments and conversations. So it's in both platforms where it really has become basically a community. And I really value that. And that is the book where they get to help me decide and they have input on it. And it's a fun collaboration. Like I approached it from the start as this is a book that is a collaboration. Like this is something that's almost like a game that we're playing. And the end result is a novel that we all get to read. Um, but then for other books, like there are books that I, I write for fun and there are books that I write for art. Oh. And my art is not up for debate and I'm going to write the thing I want to write. Like that, the historical novel I mentioned, that was an art book for me. Oh. It was not up for debate. It was never going to change. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. Absolutely adore that. 
and that and that's that's great because I think we we do forget sometimes like once you entered the realm of publishing and it and you see behind the veil of how it how the sausage is made um the art aspect we forget we're artists and we forget that because um we become some almost sometimes a slave to the contract and to you know oh you need uh, this this and this needs to come out and and so for you for you to say that it, that's a great reminder so shelby's by the way shelby's Beth's Patreon <laughs> worth 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 it um, because you also do um, I think writing courses there right you also teach mm -hmm. writing and... yeah I, I made it both for readers and writers so on Sunday and Tuesday on Tuesday I do the outline and then the chapter is published by the next Sunday and on Thursdays there's always a writing post um, it's either going to be a critique a 30 minute video or just like a text post but there's always a writing post on every Thursday mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's see that that is what I like. It's like the community aspect of it because you know it's, it's not sometimes writing can be so um, singular and you feel alone as a writer sometimes because mm -hmm. you know you do it in a dark room and it's just you and the words. But <laughs> with this, you have built a community around, so you shed light into that alone darkness sometimes, and I think. That is the new path for for writers. I think gone is the hermetic writer that you know. Here's a book, and then they disappear. You know, it's almost like a Daniel Day Lewis. That. Yeah, it's like a Daniel Day Lewis kind of thing. Here's a new a movie, and then he disappears. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so it's fascinating the way you do it because it definitely spells like a, a future of writing and and publishing. Because yeah. I think the way publishing is going now, if it doesn't change something along the way in their core, I think they're going to have a big problem when yeah. it comes to that. So like you're starting like to show of, too. Yeah. 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 So like you're one of the, a great example of that. Like how you I feel like you're, like you're, you're a very well-rounded writer. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, yeah. you're, you're hitting all the right thoughts with your readers, with your writers, with everybody. Like it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I try. <laughs> I wish more than one of the Norman Conquest, but <laughs> and as long as some of them want my sci-fi now, we're gonna be fine. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I think that would that would hit as a graphic novel. Oh, yeah, be yeah, because that would be really gory. <laughs> no, exactly, precisely, precisely. Because, like, if you look at if you look at like like a lot of the graphic novels that are like done by Vertigo and DC and, you know, they go for that kind of storyline. And, uh, you know, so, hey, artists, if there's an artist out there that would like to work with them, <laughs> I mean, come on, we want graphic novels from, no, because, only because to see your books beyond just the, our imaginations and to actually see like visual representations of what's in our imagination, yeah. it, it, it's, it's an opportunity that just tickle, tickles me pink because I really, really want to, and that's me. Being <laughs> um, but so, so when you're, how do you decide? Like of all the ideas that you have, like how do you decide which one you want you will you will write first, or are you writing multiple projects at the same time? 
I write multiple at the same time. Um, I, I'm currently doing a chapter a week of House of Hex, the sequel to Museum of Magic. Um, I am going to be starting the sequel to Night of the Witch with my co-author Sarah very soon. We've we've got the outline and the outlines with our editor. So as soon as we get the go ahead, I'll be doing chapters every other week for that one. Um, I'm also writing video games. So oh, I, I do oh. a video game script every, every week. Um, and I've got a side project that I've just started in adult fantasy, which is really, really fun. And I try to do um, multiple chapters of each project every week. Oh, fantastic. Well, I mean, I it, it is my full-time job, so I have to work at it full-time. Yes, but that, but that, that is like a great example of a career, like how to build a career as a writer. It's like not necessarily, because I think like we're still, there's still that, mentality of write a book, find an agent, get published, kind of, you know, and but there are multiple ro inroads mm -hmm. that we have also discovered through this podcast. Like there are multiple inroads into publishing, becoming an author. Oh, yeah. uh, and it's no longer that it's no longer that um oh there's only one way, which is yeah. to be traditionally published. Yeah. And I feel yeah, like all the authors one way all the others that we've that we've interviewed that have been very successful have done something like that you know like it's not just write a book and send it out and write a book and then there's other things that you need to be doing at this point so you're doing them all Beth it's fantastic I'm just very very tired <laughs> I was thinking about the video game um is that more like a script like a, a movie script or is it Okay. Yeah, it is. It's very similar to that. It's called Story Loom, mm -hmm. and if you've ever seen the advertisements for Choices, um, it's an it's an interactive story playing thing where like it's almost like choose your own adventure, where you you read a little bit of a story and then it's like you pick where the character goes, mm -hmm. and Story Loom is um like a short snippet of that. It's under the same umbrella of the company that does that. And so I, I write, I have two out. Um, one was called Ghost in the Sheen and it's completely done. And it was a kind of a horror story. And you go through the whole thing. And in the end, there's five different possible endings. Mm -hmm. So I had to write not just the script, but all the choices. And then the five different branching endings that you could get. Because you could, it's a horror. So you could survive the ghost there's a, a poltergeist or the ghost could kill everyone or it could kill some of them and not all of them so it got kind of gory i can look that up that sounds so cool it, does. it was really fun my current one's called the global quest and it's kind of um the inheritance games meets 13 little blue envelopes oh. and so a girl in order to get her inheritance she has to go on a treasure hunt around the world and i'm yeah. using real clues from actual places and travel and places I've been so that she has to figure out all the different clues and find the treasure before her evil aunt or the mysterious boy so oh, cool <laughs> it's fun it's really a lot of fun nice. so you create the script and then they create the they, they create the game with that script um, actually, I write it within their own engine because they they have a, a story engine so it's a specific format and I have to like drop down and choose the characters and I'll, I'd done all the backgrounds my, myself. So it involved a little bit of Photoshop and uh, I just that used their own cool. engine to make it. Oh, that nice. sounds like fun. I know. Really yeah. Yeah. You're so talented. This is amazing. <laughs> Photoshop is hard. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, I'm not doing much on Photoshop to be clear. Like I'm just the very bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. See, you are giving us so many, you know, nuggets of wisdom, not only in as writing as craft, but the, the 
different creative roads you can take as a writer. And that is that is quite fascinating. See, readers, see, Shelby's, you are not, it's not just a one road thing. You can oh, yeah. go through many different avenues and side alleys and and it's always, um, I think it's just, you don't be afraid of your own creativity. It's just where it can take you and and you are a testament to that though. Yeah, I do think it's important to have fun. So like Storyloom is just fun. It's, it's like the popcorn of what I'm doing. And Museum of the Magic is the same way. Like these are the things that I do for fun that also involve writing. And then like separately, like we talked, I have also the art. So I, I could not write five artistic books in a year like those take time and they are emotionally draining but it's fun to go have fun mm -hmm. yeah. make it into a career which is wonderful especially if you want to be able to write full time and i mean just having different ways to go about doing that that's mm -hmm. ways that i never even like thought to even try to do <laughs> like, you know. yeah. i've been lucky with some opportunities for sure but 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 it, it shows that you're not afraid of opportunities because sometimes you know it's like when do we say yes to an opportunity so when do you say yes to an opportunity and when do you say no sometimes it depends on the timing and sometimes it depends on the money and what i have going on at the same time um also during the pandemic in addition to writing more novels that was when my husband had a heart transplant and so i am literally paying off a human heart right now so anything that has a paycheck i shall <laughs> say yes to i will try it because it's that's a, a medical debt's no joke so uh, some of it is just just frankly that like oh there's a paycheck involved in writing this video game script i will give it a try oh. and i did it for one and i was like oh i can continue doing this and so i did it for another one as well um, so some of it's that and some of it's um, just being in the right place at the right time. Like I've gotten really lucky with people knew that I was looking for something or I had finished a project and they're like, oh, well, we have this project. Would you like to do a short story for this anthology? I'm like, okay, the timing works. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of different factors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as writers, I guess you just have to really go with your gut and go with what speaks to you because sometimes i think that's where the regret comes in and say oh why didn't i say yes or or oh why did i say yes <laughs> <laughs> i have had both of those there was another video game that i can't um name because of the ndas and they uh, that was the one i did first and it was a horrible experience mm -hmm. and that was one where i just basically wrote like it was almost like a movie script and i wrote the script for it and it was just so soul draining and so little money for it and by the time i realized how much work was involved the contracts were already signed oh, so there have been times when i'm like oh I really shouldn't have done that but you yeah. live and you learn yeah. and you did it for a reason i believe that everything is done for a reason so yes there was yes. a reason behind it <laughs> yeah. there was a reason it gave me some confidence whenever um story loom approached me and they're like oh we're gonna do this i was like oh i know i can do that and you're gonna pay better so <laughs> nice <laughs> good good yeah, as writers should. i think that's something we should always say you're gonna pay better <laughs> yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so Beth, you know Beth, we the thing is when we start these podcasts we never know where it's going to go and with you it went into a whole different avenue that none of us could have predicted or anticipated <laughs> or but that is a great thing because it, it's a, such a great learning experience it's like now is the time to evolve as writers as creatives there's so many avenues to take so many opportunities to grab 
that it's no longer just one thing. You can do like other things and still, you know, maybe in the meantime, while that one thing is not working out, maybe channel those creative juices elsewhere and then that one thing will just and um and we are so happy thank you for not stopping at 10 books thank you for writing <laughs> yeah. 11 being very and stubborn and persistent <laughs> yes thank you because the world would have been less if, if the across the universe trilogy there would have been a hole in the universe if that trilogy had not come out and and the other talented things that you are doing and you have definitely cemented your uh role as a as part of the author verse that, that we that we all live in and we are so happy that you gave us your time here on the mm -hmm. podcast and be able to share those ideas with writers and uh, shelby's i hope your mind is percolating with ideas <laughs> right now because seriously you know, Beth puts us all to shame <laughs> with her with her writing and 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 her persistence. And we should, I think, we should remember that it's writing is a persistence game. And speaking of fun things that we do, Christy, take it away. Yes. So ten questions, top of your head answers, nothing too complicated. You ready? Mm -hmm. First one is: If you didn't have to sleep, but everybody else did, what would you do with the extra time? Can I still sleep? <laughs> <laughs> you could sleep if you wanted to. Absolutely. I, I really miss sleep. I would like that. <laughs> <laughs> like the mother of a seven-year-old. Absolutely. <laughs> would you rather be the hero or the sidekick? I mean, I was I was gonna say sidekick because they have left to do and I know you won't believe me, but I'm actually incredibly lazy. Um, I don't <laughs> want to be the hero. It sounds like they have a lot of work. Mm. So I'll just be the sidekick and hope I'm not the sidekick that dies. Oh, gosh. No yes. red shirt. No red shirt. <laughs> I'm not, not the red shirt. <laughs> if you opened a restaurant, what kind would it be? Um, A bakery. Oh. With lots of coffee. Okay, mm. we're all there. 100%. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, this one is for a writer specifically. How do you pick the next book you'll read? Do you use recommendations from others or do you literally judge a book by its cover? Oh, I just yeet myself at the bookcase and whatever comes out is what I stuff <laughs> in my eyeballs. <laughs> Good for you. <clears throat> Number five is which chore do you like the least? <laughs> I'm very lazy. <laughs> The only reason I can write as many books as I can is because I make my husband do everything else. I'm like, I'll buy you a human heart, just vacuum. <laughs> so we're going with all of them. It's all yes. good. <laughs> do you prefer sunrises or sunsets? Um, I I generally prefer sunsets, but my child doesn't <laughs> like to ever sleep. And therefore I have become accustomed to the sunrises and it when the sun better. rises, my sun rises. So. <laughs> Just wait till the teenage years. It gets better. Um, who is someone you would like to meet? And this can be real or fictional. Um, Oh, fictional counts. Then it would be Princess Leia. Oh. If, if she, yeah. General Leia. It yeah. would be gen yeah. older General Leia. When she's had all the experiences, 100%, that would be quite the conversation. I agree. Mm -hmm. Are you chronically late or systematically punctual? 
I am always early. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I, I am. I will be or if if I am on time, then I'm like breaking out the hives. Like I'm going right there. Like I <laughs> I am early. <laughs> good. Number nine is: Do you have a bucket list? Uh, I have a bucket travel list because I really, really like to travel. So there are several places that I haven't been to yet that I would like to go visit. Yeah, now that we're out of the pandemic, it might get a little bit better. And the <laughs> last one, which is always the most, you know, the hardest, hardest thinking one is, is it pronounced GIF or JIF? Oh, it's absolutely GIF. It's not a peanut butter. It's definitely GIF. <laughs> Thank you so much for answering those. Thank you. Hey, Shelby's, what are your answers to Christy's ever-evolving, ever-evolving list of questions? Because we never, we, a lot, I love, I, one of my favorite exciting things of the week that I anticipate is like what questions Christy will ask this week because we get, we get, we really get to know the author and, and each other based on our answers. And so wait, before I, I ask you where they can find you on the internet, um, when you're reading a book, like, and, and it's not working, do you, are you the type that you have to, when you start reading, have to finish? Or if you if the book is not working out for you, you're like, nope, close and then move on. Nobody has time for that. Or at least I don't have time for that. <laughs> if if the book isn't jiving with me, like there are some times when I'll read a book, like the one I'm currently reading, I'm like, okay, I like it, but I'm not in the mood for it. Like it's just it's like a cheesecake and I'm not in a cheesecake mood. <laughs> and then there's some books I'm reading it halfway through. I'm like, oh no, you suck. And then I just move it on. <laughs> I, I do not torture myself. <laughs> I teach you real quick. Um, and this is personal because I like webtoons too. And so I was just curious which is your favorite because I can always eat you. Oh, she has she has a prop. Oh, oh. Olympus. Oh, 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 Olympus. Okay, okay. I started it and I I just yeah, I, I have to go back to that one. Okay. This <laughs> is so good. I also really love the remarried empress. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. um, I'm waiting for the hiatus to be over. I know, but yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm very worried about the artist. I'm like, please get better, please get better. Get oh, more. is that what happened? Oh, yeah, it's either the artist or the writer. One of them got sick. Oh man. And then um, I also super like um, leveling up my husband to the max. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one too. I like my throne. I just got uh, sucked into that one. <laughs> I will check that one out. Okay, so so you can tell. Like who here has not opened the webcam recently? <laughs> but, but those are great suggestions. And Angie, how dare you not suggest any of these to the two of us? So that we <laughs> no, no, we're we're in our own little graphic novel club. We're in the webcam club. <laughs> I have to get my coins. <laughs> so. Shelby's lots of things to write down, put on your TBR, start reading, start writing. And so Beth, if they haven't found you yet in the universe of the internet, where they can, where can they find you? Um, I am all over social media. I'm at Twitter at Beth Revis and uh, Facebook at author Beth Revis, Instagram at Beth Revis, TikTok at that Beth Revis because somebody else stole my name. <laughs> um, I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Beth Revis. I have a newsletter on Substack. Basically, if you look for my name, I'm probably going to show up. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're you're like one of the one of the most Googleable authors that are. <laughs> 
that's out there and and you know just just type in her name and she will she will pop up great great uh follow on instagram as well um so you know go and hit click those follow buttons and as you follow us as well please follow us as well dear shelby if you are new here please hit that subscribe button give this a like and uh maybe leave us a review we got our first five-star review and i shared it with my um co-hosts co um and and it's just so exciting and it helps the algorithm gods uh pick us up so please <laughs> you know just like if you love a book leave it a review if you love this podcast please leave us a review so that other so we can welcome more shelby's into the tribe into the community because that is what we are trying to build here as well it's a community of writers readers authors and um you know moving this creative endeavor forward with everybody lots of learning lots of inspiration so beth what can we look forward to from you uh in the future um, so my next book that's going to come out is Night of the Witch. It's the co-written book. That's a historical fantasy. Um, and it will be out on October 3rd, which is also my birthday. So definitely get it. Um, I, House of Hex, uh, the sequel to Museum of Magic, will come out as soon as it's done before the end of the year. And I have something else that has not yet been announced that will come out before the end of the year. And... I think that's it for now. <laughs> that's good. Fantastic. Well, I mean, if you're not a fan of Beth yet, you will be a fan. She has something. Chapter boom. Yes, that's right. <laughs> for everybody. And, you know, um, just please, Beth, keep on writing and keep on producing the wonderful, wonderful things that you are producing because we, we just love what you do. And we, We'll, we'll look into a lot of the things that you have, you know, definitely shared with us. Thank, thank goodness this is recorded so that we can just <laughs> rewatch and uh, jot down. Because it, it, the thing is, the three of us, we want to make notes, but we don't, we don't want to look like we're just making notes. Yeah. <laughs> like every so often, I'll like kind of lean forward. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you see a pen. You so, you know, so we, we want to look like, you know, we are also listening, but at the same time, we're like making notes, making notes, making notes. We need just the, the, the knowledge and the wisdom that is being shared with us. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, that's why we're doing this, because we also want to share that, because a lot of the things that that is being shared is beyond just what is your writing advice and what is what did you go through? And this is somewhat like writing advice, but it going um in a different avenue or doing a U-turn and, and going everywhere. So thank you, thank you so, so much. You. And we, Shelby, thank you for joining us this week. Tune in next week for another another guest and another episode of the Shelf Books podcast. Um, if, you know, if you just want to say hi, if you have a Shelf Books story that you want to share with us, email us at the shelfbookspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to read it here on the podcast in the future. So make sure to get on that. We, we would love to hear from you, dear Shelby. And remember, keep on writing. Bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> and that was another episode of the Shelved Books Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Till the next one, stay safe, read more, write more, and continue to be at your creative best. The world is waiting, and so are we.